Ackerman, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Meet Me in St. Louis. doing i hope this episode of the musical man finds you well i am here with patty and benny and we have a special guest who is going to be on mic in this episode i will not spoil it in advance but just keep that in mind a special guest is on the way we never have special guests on the mic this is insane a second voice on the mic Who could have thought? Who would have thought? Congratulations. I want to start this opening segment by saying congratulations to the 2023 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, Kimberly Akimbo. All of the Best Musical nominees from this year's ceremony have officially been added to our schedule. So be on the lookout for that coverage in the future. From what I hear, Kimberly Akimbo more than deserved that Best Musical medallion. I have not heard a note of it. I am Excited to eventually cover it here on the show. Thank you to Sydney. Listener Sydney sent me an amazing email regarding her time in high school in the theatrical drama program, how she would dig through musicals over the summer to try and figure out what her drama teacher might choose for a musical that coming school year. And during her research, she came across the pajama game. So she was telling me about how... How dreadfully boring the pajama game was. And I gotta say, Sydney, I don't blame you for a second for experiencing those feelings. I'm right there with you. Man, the idea of a high school, a bunch of high school drama kids having to engage with the pajama game on a story level, on a character level. No, thank you. No, thank you. So thank you again for offering that email to me, Sydney. I love emails. I need to clear my throat. Hold on. All right. I cleared my throat and we cut that out of the final edit. You didn't hear that. No! 
<laughs> so thank you again, Sydney. Ah, there are two additional items of pajama game ephemera I would like to address in this opening segment, and then we will move into the show facts for Meet Me in St. Louis, if that's all right with you, right? Oh, all right. Here's the first piece of ephemera. Season 1, episode 14 of The Share Show, original air date, May 18th, 1975. This is a disco-infused version of Hernando's Hideaway. Share, take it away, my ma'am. Just knock three times and whisper low That you and I were sent by Joe Then strike a match and you will know Hernando's Hideaway is now a disco. That's fun. Now, the second piece of ephemera that I have for you was brought to my attention by Liz. Liz, thank you so much for bringing this Velveeta Light commercial to my attention. We're not going to hear the audio from that commercial because, unfortunately, the YouTube upload is rather muddy. I don't think it would be fun to hear very thick, muddy audio here on the podcast. I try to avoid it when I can. But here are the lyrics. And this is to the tune of Hernando's Hideaway. So we've got a nice double bill here under the band of Hernando's Hideaway. Here are the lyrics, if I may clear my throat again first. Let me do that. Okay, we cleared my throat, and we took it out of the final edit. It's time to sing that song. It melts, it pours, it cooks just right. Less fat, great taste, Velveeta light. A third, less fat, in every bite. Here's why you love Velveeta Light. Olay. They don't say Olay. I threw the Olay in there as a little bonus for you. Isn't it weird how they say less fat twice? They really want to push the less fat thing. Like, we get it. It's Velveeta. It's disgusting cheese syrup. We understand what it is. Thank you to Twitter user Cooper's Chew Toy for helping us decipher some of those lines. I believe the part I was having trouble with was a third less fat in every bite. I had no idea what was being said. Like I said, the upload was pretty crummy. I'm surprised. YouTube has the weirdest, most random things. I suppose I should be happy that it exists online at all. It is now time to share the show facts regarding our latest subject, Meet Me in St. Louis. Show me the show facts you say to me while I say to you. Alrighty? Alrighty, let's do it. Meet Me in St. Louis was a 1990 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on November 2nd, 1989 at the Gershwin Theater and ran for 252 performances. The book was written by Hugh Wheeler and music and lyrics were provided by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine, as well as Carrie Mills and Bob Cole. Meet Me in St. Louis is based on the 1944 MGM film of the same name, 
which was directed by Vincenti Minnelli, written by Irving Brecker and Fred F. Finkelhoff, and starred the one and only Miss Judy Garland. The film was based on 5135 Kensington, a short story series written by Sally Benson. These stories, which first appeared in The New Yorker between June of 1941 and May of 1942, were compiled and published as a novel in 1942, around the time the MGM film went into development. Benson did not live to see the stage version of St. Louis, but she did have a reference for her work appearing on Broadway. Junior Miss, another story series published by The New Yorker, found success in the form of a Broadway play. It ran for nearly two years across three Broadway venues, the Lyceum, the 46th Street Theater, and the Majestic. But back to the show facts. The director of Meet Me in St. Louis, Louis Burke. Louis! <laughs> Everybody loves Louie. Musical director Bruce Pomahack. Orchestrations Michael Gibson with additional orchestrations by Frederick Willard. Choreographer Joan Brickle. Scenic design Keith Anderson. Lighting design Ken Billington. I believe I recognize your name, Ken. Hello again. Sound design Alan Steeb and James Brousseau. Costume design Keith Anderson. And the original Broadway cast was as follows. We begin with Betty Garrett and George Hearn. Ah, George Hearn. Love to see you again. Uh, Max in Sunset Boulevard, of course. Albin in La Cache of course. And Sweeney in Sweeney Todd, the first replacement, of course, on Broadway. We continue with the cast. Charlotte Moore, Milo O'Shea, Donna Kane, Courtney Peldon, Kevin Backstrom, Karen Culliver, Dina Deese, Shauna Hicks, Kay Craig Inez, Brian J., Juliet Lambert, Craig A. Meyer, Ron Morgan, Georgia L. Osborne. <laughs> Had to stretch that out, I guess. Michael O. Steen, Rochelle Oatley, Peter Reardon, Naomi Redden, Ken Shepsky, Corden Stanley, Cynthia Thole, Kyle Weil, and Lee Wilson. But we're not done because I put all of the Broadway debuts in their own section. We have 16 Broadway debuts with this production. Dan Boulot, Victoria Lynn Burton, Rachel Graham, H. David Gunderman, Rachel Jones, Nancy Leminger, Frank Maulo, Joanne McHugh, Carol Lee Meadows, Christopher Lee Michaels, Christina Paul, Carol Schuberg, Jem Simmelman, Sean Frank Sullivan, Greg Whitney, and finally, last but certainly not least, Jason Workman. Congratulations to all of you Broadway debuts back in 1990. No, 1989. Yes, Tony Knotts. The show was nominated for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Hugh Wheeler, Best Original Score, Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine, and Best Choreography, Joan Brickle. Four nominations, unfortunately. Zero awards when all was said and done. Ah, what can you do? Let's talk about the plot. The plot of Meet Me in St. Louis. Our story takes place in St. Louis, the best damn city in the best damn state in the best damn country on the best damn continent on the best damn planet in God's favorite fucking solar system. And if you think your mud puddle of a city is better, I suggest you take it up with our main characters, the Smiths. No one, and I mean no one, loves St. Louis more than the Smith family, but in the year of our Lord, 1903, that love is going to be tested. Oh, the Smiths are in for a rude awakening, all right, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let us instead examine the Smith family tree and its ties to the greater St. Louis social scene. We begin with Mr. Alonzo Smith. 
and Mrs. Anna Smith, the patriarch and matriarch of the Smith brood. Mr. and Mrs. Smith have five children. Alonzo Smith Jr., or Lon, as he is known to everyone, is the oldest. We know this because he leaves for Princeton in the first act. Is anyone else in this house going to college anytime soon? I thought not. Lon is the eldest boy. I've never seen a second of Succession. Never seen a second of it. Rose and Esther are the Elder Smith daughters, while Agnes and Tootie serve as the resident youngsters. Rounding out the household are Grandpa Profiter and Katie the Maid. To which side of the family does Grandpa Profiter belong? I have no idea. I will now divide the plot of Meet Me in St. Louis into four easily digestible parts because explaining it chronologically would probably drive me bananas. Insane. Here's part one. Part one, the romantic tale of Rose Smith and Warren Sheffield. Rose is in love with Warren Sheffield. Truly, madly, deeply in love. Moments after the show begins, we learn Rose is expecting a long-distance phone call from Warren. This is a big deal for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Smiths only recently installed their telephone. It's 1903, as a reminder. And to be honest, TBH, every call they receive is viewed as an event. And number two, Rose believes this phone call will include a proposal of marriage, and so she is understandably nervous. Alas, the buzz is a bust. Warren simply wanted to check in on Rose? Ugh, what a crock. Flash forward to December. The Smiths are planning to attend a Christmas ball, but Rose does not have a date. Ah, this is chiefly Rose's fault, as she has been giving Warren the cold shoulder as of late, but Warren is going to the ball. Oh yes, he is going. Warren is going to the ball, and get this, he's taking Lucille Ballard. Ugh. Rose is disgusted. I mean, this is beyond the pale. She doesn't even go here. In the spirit of vengeance, she and Esther devise a nasty scheme. They will humiliate Lucille by filling her dance card with the names of the worst men in town. Cataclysmic Phoebes, every one of them. That'll teach Lucille to snatch Warren away from Rose. <laughs> uh, 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 but what's this? Lucille, who's actually quite nice, as it turns out, has a thing for Lon? Upon making this discovery, Esther swaps Lucille's dance card with her own. <laughs> no, no, my mistake, Lucille. Give me that, give me that. This is your card. My card is the one with all of the Phoebes on it. Yes, obviously. Warren and Rose make amends and become engaged shortly after, no, before, before the curtain falls. They don't become engaged after the curtain falls. That would be weird. Sorry, what is a dance card, Jonathan? Well, a dance card is used by a woman to record the names of the men with whom she intends to dance each successive dance at a formal ball. You gotta have good names on your dance card, kids. You simply gotta, part two. The romantic tale of Esther Smith and John Truett. Esther is in love with John Truett. Truly, madly, deeply in love. John is the boy next door. He lives but mere feet away, yet he is only dimly aware of Esther's existence. When the Smiths hold a going-away-to-Princeton party for a lawn, John agrees to help Esther put out the lamps at the end of the night. Ooh, intimate! Esther's delight turns to dismay when John comments on her firm handshake and familiar perfume. Say, Esther, you know, you smell just like my Nana. John is not what you would call a smooth operator. 
Hester and her pals plan a trip to the future site of the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, a.k.a. the St. Louis World's Fair. Everyone is beyond excited, but where the fuck is John? He missed the trolley. Oh, there he is, running down the street with piss all over his pants. We told you when the trolley was leaving, dummy. Clang, clang, ding, ding. Flash forward to Halloween night. Tootie flies into the Smith home, her face covered with blood. The child makes a disturbing accusation. John Truitt tried to kill me. Esther sees red. She pulls John into the street and proceeds to rough him up, but good. Take that and that and maybe that. John protests. I would never hurt Tootie, he says. What is going on? Ow, my skull. Say, what is going on exactly? Well, stay tuned, fair listener. Esther and John's romance comes to a head at the Christmas ball we mentioned earlier. John screws this thing up real good. It's actually kind of impressive. See, he spent too much time playing basketball, and when he went to pick up his father's tux at the tailor's, the shop was closed. I suppose I can't take you to the ball if I don't have a tux. <laughs> Sorry, babe, John Truitt is a homosexual. But have no fear, Esther dear. John manages to track down the tailor, retrieve the tuxedo, and arrive at the ball with time to spare. He also proposes to Esther a Christmas miracle, if ever there was one, and she happily accepts. Part 3, The Horrifying Tale of Tootie and Her Devilish Halloween Prank. Tootie is a Sunday Funnies menace. On the Halloween night in question, Tootie, Agnes, and their creepy coterie of playmates decide to whip up a bit of fun. A trick we shall play this night. Yee-hee-hee. That's what they say. Yee-hee-hee. They find an old dress, stuff it with hay or newspaper or meat or some such, and toss it in front of a moving trolley car. Now, why would these children do such a thing? Well, to make the trolley car derail, of course. Death! Mayhem! That's what they want on the menu. Well, things get out of hand rather quickly. The trolley stops, but nobody dies. Boo! And soon thereafter, a police officer appears. Oink, oink! John yanks Agnes and Tootie into an alleyway so they won't be questioned by the cop, and Tootie fucking freaks. She makes a break for home and subsequently tears her lip open after falling headfirst into the street. Esther is shocked by Tootie's appearance. What happened? Where did all of this blood come from? Tootie, Tootie, Tootie! Without giving it a second thought, Tootie throws John under the bus, or trolley, depending on your preference. John Truitt tried to kill me! Tootie's lie is swiftly exposed. She feels zero guilt. And Esther apologizes to John for beating him in the street. Part 4, The Sorrowful Tale of Mr. Smith and His New Position in New York. Shortly after Tootie's Halloween debacle, Mr. Smith declares that the family will be moving to New York for the sake of his job. The Smiths are thunderstruck. Lon is at Princeton. He's basically out of the nest, but what about everyone else? Rose and Esther are in love. Agnes and Tootie have crimes to commit for Pete's sake. Even Katie the maid is upset. Ah, what am I gonna do? Cook your meals on some tiny-ass tenement stove. The thought of it alone makes me sick, Mr. Smith. Sick! Mr. Smith changes his mind when he sees Tootie tear a beloved snowman apart in the wee hours of Christmas morning. Ah, uh, what was I thinking? This is my George Hearn impression. <laughs> the Smiths can't move to New York. We live in St. Louis, the best damn city in the best damn state, in the best damn country on the best damn continent. 
on the best damn planet in God's favorite fucking solar system. We are staying here, and that is that. Ha ha, final. The show concludes at the World's Fair, where the Smiths revel in their revitalized sense of local pride. You know who doesn't have a World's Fair? New York. Oh, sure, they'll get one in 1939 and another in 1964. But we here in St. Louis prefer to live in the present. And right now it's 1904, and St. Louis has a World's Fair, and New York fucking don't. So take your Brooklyn-style pizza and shove it up your ass, Lady Liberty. That's the plot. For the purposes of this week's episode, I rewatched the 1944 MGM motion picture, Meet Me in St. Louis. I have a lot of observations regarding this movie, which I have a lot of affection for. One of my favorite lines is delivered by Katie the Maid near the beginning of the movie. This is in reference to the telephone call Rose is supposed to get from Warren Sheffield. Judy Garland, as Esther is trying to emphasize, uh, you, you don't understand, Katie. Uh, Rose is gonna, she's gonna get a marriage proposal over the phone. This is a very big deal. And Katie the maid says in response to this, Personally, I wouldn't marry a man who proposed to me over an invention. Very funny. The Smiths do own, I should say, a number of obviously racist souvenirs, including lawn jockeys and absolutely mystifying busts of what I have to assume are black faces. Very strange. It is, to say the very least, an unfortunate and glaring distraction. And if you can manage to uh, compartment this element of the production design, and I wouldn't blame you, anyone who couldn't, I would eagerly recommend the movie primarily for the family dynamic. It's comforting to watch the Smiths rally around each other in times of strife. They encourage Rose after her telephone call. They fall over themselves to nurse Tootie back to health. Even the news of a move to New York, which sends everyone into a tailspin, even that is not enough to keep them apart, literally, physically, for long. They still come together. They like to be in the same room. The Smiths understand the benefit of keeping those you love close at hand, and I find that very comforting, as I said. Uh, Katie the Maid. Here's another great Katie the Maid exchange. Uh, she's commenting, well, this is really a moment for Agnes and Tootie. Katie the Maid is commenting on Agnes and Tootie's Halloween costumes. Katie says, Agnes, I thought you were a drunken ghost. And Agnes says, I am. Tootie's a horrible ghost, and I'm a terrible drunken ghost. And then Tootie, I love Tootie, she says, She was murdered in a den of thieves, and I died of a broken heart. I've never been buried because everyone's scared to come near me. Margaret O'Brien is amazing in the role of Tootie. So bizarre, so morbid, yet so sympathetic. Man, when she's crying at the end of the movie and ripping apart that snowman, that really gets to me. Halloween traditions at the top of the 20th century include burning unwanted furniture in the street and killing your neighbors, quote-unquote, with fistfuls of wet flour. Uh, remember, children, you have to tell your neighbors you hate them before killing them with the flower. If you don't, banshees, I mean, you know this, they will haunt your every step. Your ass <laughs> will be grass for the rest of your life. A number of girls, including Agnes and Tootie, are dressed as old men, and several boys in the neighborhood are dressed as old women. Halloween, as we have come to find, is a fabulous gender-fluid holiday at the top of the 20th century. Here's another Here's the line I like from Katie. This is delivered on Halloween night. She's eating a huge slice of cake, and she says, well, another Halloween. We're all a year older. <laughs> and that's true. 
That's very true. As a reminder, John Truitt forgot to pick up his tux for the Christmas ball because he was too busy playing basketball. And in the scene where he has to reveal this to Esther, he says, oh, I'll bet you really hate me. And Esther, as played by Judy Garland, no one could deliver this line better. She says, oh, no, John, I don't hate you. I just hate basketball. I love it. I can't get enough of it. When Grandpa gets a look at Lucille Ballard's dance card, he instantly, instantly recognizes every name on the list. My God, Esther, they're all Phoebes. Aloysius Beef Slime, Percival Pussfucker, Yancey Myron Archibald Cabbage Dick. Esther, you should be ashamed of yourself. It is at this point in the episode I would like to welcome our guest into the room. He is here in the room with me. This is my husband, Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and he would like to recreate a song that he created in the moment as we were watching the film Meet Me in St. Louis. This song is inspired by a scene that's very early on in the film. There's a lot of talk about ketchup. Katie the maid has a big broiling fucking fat ass vat of ketchup and she feels that it needs maybe more spice. Other people say it's too sour, too flat. Oh, the, the debate goes back and forth. And Chris was inspired in the moment to improvise this song, which he is going to recreate for us now. So please feel free. Uh, my husband, Chris, is going to sing that song whenever he feels like it. All right. The ketchup, my life, too sour, too flat, not too sweet. Oh, Katie, oh, Katie, oh, Katie. The ketchup, my life, too sour, too flat, not too sweet. Oh, Katie, oh, Katie, oh, Katie. <laughs> it's known as, he's pointing at his card, his, his note. It says... You, you, we, want, we, we need to point out that it's called Katie's song? You can say yes. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, so the, <laughs> that, that final lyric is, Oh, K-A-A-Y-T-I-E-E-E, exclamation point. Thank you, my, my husband. You're welcome. All right. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. 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 I then watched about an hour of the 1959 made-for-television remake of the film, which aired on CBS on April 26, 1959. It's about two hours long. Like I said, I watched an hour, and then I gave... Up. We'll explain why in a second. The, the film stars Tab Hunter, Jane Powell, Patty Duke, Walter Pigeon, who played Florence Ziegfeld in Funny Girl, Rita Shaw, who plays Mrs. Brill in Mary Poppins. You know this because I talked about that in the Pajama Game episode. She's in the film version of the Pajama Game as Mabel. That's because I believe she was also in the Broadway cast of the Pajama Game. And so she plays Katie the Maid, and Ed Wynn, Uncle Arthur from Mary Poppins, plays Grandpa, Grandpa Profiter. Oh my gosh. Now this is, generally speaking, a slower, stiffer, and altogether clumsier take on the Smith saga. People are flubbing lines. I don't think this was filmed live, but we're flubbing lines. No one knows how to land a joke. The comedic timing is just absolutely off. Even Ed Wynn, who I love, he seems unsure of himself, generally speaking. And far be it for me to dismiss the value of black and white film and television, but this material needs to be presented in full technicolor. How can I appreciate the majesty of St. Louis when it looks like a cemetery in January? I ask. We may be a year away from the premiere of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho in 1959, 
But Tab Hunter is already giving us Norman Bates. I should not be unnerved by the character of John Truitt. Hello, Esther. <laughs> you smell just like my grandmother. I decided to throw in the towel once the Halloween sequence began because I refused to be bored by what should be the most entertaining part of the story. I then listened to the 1989 original Broadway cast album of Meet Me in St. Louis, and then I watched the 1990 Tony Awards performance of Banjos, The Trolley Song, and The Boy next door and meet me in St. Louis. They pack a lot in. And mercy sakes alive, the gay boys in this company, the white gay boys, sure know how to kick. Ha! Take that, daddy! Hiya! <laughs> if you're in the ensemble of a musical and you never point at something I cannot see, oh, look at that over there! Oh, wow, look at that over there! Can you honestly say you were in the ensemble if you never get to go, oh, look over there! You don't really say it, you just go, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> remaining frozen in place. Oh, they do that at a certain point. Remaining frozen in place for minutes on end is my actor's nightmare. I can get through a line if I'm fucking it up. I can improvise, but if you tell me to sit still, I can barely keep my mouth shut. You want me to stop fidgeting as well? Get out of here. And the big finale for this Tony Awards presentation looks a lot like ragtime, minus the Jews and people of color. It's, uh, it's very unsettling. <laughs> There, I don't think there is a person of color in that entire fucking ensemble. But that's it for my research sources. As far as those are concerned, it's time to talk about the score. So let's talk about the boy next door. The moment I saw him smile, I knew he was just my style. Doesn't know I exist, no matter how I may persist. So it's clear to see there's no hope for me. Though I live at 5135 Kensington Avenue, and he lives at 
hearing a lot from Donna Kane throughout this portion of the episode. She plays Esther. You just heard her deliver the boy next door. So buckle up. I think you'll be hearing three songs from her today. Surprisingly, Meet Me in St. Louis was her second and final Broadway credit after a replacement run as Fantine in Les Miserables. Donna has a primo set of pipes, primo, and I wish I could hear them on other recordings. Here's an admission I should probably be embarrassed by. I totally forgot The Boy Next Door was in the original movie. I actually began my research process with the original Broadway cast album of Meet Me in St. Louis, and when I heard Kane's rendition of the song, I assumed it had been written exclusively for this stage adaptation. Jonathan, no, you fool. Judy Garland sings The Boy Next Door within the first ten minutes of that movie. Oh, the egg on my face. It's runny and hot. My God, somebody pass me a napkin. Now, would it be sort of hack for me to say that Donna Kane is no Judy Garland? Sure, that's about as insightful as comparing sand to snow. This sand isn't nearly as wet as this snow. Why would I say that? But I do appreciate Kane's work on this cast album, even if the quality of the performance does vary slightly from number to number. We will expand on this later. Grandpa, what was it like when you were a boy? Well... Is it very different from being a girl? Well, I suppose so, but I'll tell you a secret. When I was a boy, I must confess, I secretly envied girls. They were treated with respect and love by a velvet hand in a velvet glove with never a single chore, while boys had to work and the work some more. Well, I'm just the other way round, I guess. I've always envied boys. I wish I could have their carefree ways Go round the world in 80 days Boys can learn and grow and find their place And feel like a part of the human race If reincarnation permitted your life to unfurl again I hope you don't have to come back Just to be a girl again I hope so too, Grandpa Would you like to go buzzing? Buzzing through the hours, stealing all the honey from the willing flowers. Be a fly, be a bee, be a hummingbird out to spree, be anything at all. But a girl. Would you like to keep moving, moving all around? Latching on to pleasure. Anywhere it's found, be a bird in a tree, or a little old fish in the sea, be anything at all. I have known quite a few straight people in my time, too many, one could argue, and let me tell you something about straight people. A lot of them, a surprising amount, do not appreciate it when you choose to view art through a queer lens. They get tired of that real quick, and they are not afraid to let you know about it. Not everything is queer, Jonathan. And that's just casual homophobia, of course. That territorial, but, 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 style of flare-up. <laughs> it's ours, mine. But guess what? I pay attention to how I respond to art. I dedicate a great deal of time to examining and articulating my responses to art. So if what I'm about to say sounds like a stretch, you're wrong, because it ain't. 
I am my own special creation. Because here was my honest and immediate gut response to the song, Be Anything But a Girl. Tootie and Grandpa Profiter are trans. Not canonically, of course, but it's sort of impossible for me to not pick up what these characters are putting down. Tootie does not relate to girls. Tootie does not feel comfortable or fulfilled in the role of girl. Tootie wants to be a boy. Grandpa Profiter wanted to be a girl when he was a child. How do I know he still doesn't want to be a woman? Reading between the lines is a hell of a lot more interesting than accepting art at face value. The face value version of this number is about two people dunking on women for three and a half minutes of stage time. Boring. Boo. Moving forward, Tootie and Grandpa Profiter shall be recognized as trans icons. Happy Pride Month to us all. If you don't get home at all, your pa will understand. So choose your partner, skip to my loo. Choose your partner, skip to my loo. Choose your partner, skip to my loo. Skip to my loo, my darling. Lies in the buttermilk, shoo, shoo, shoo. Lies in the buttermilk, shoo, shoo, shoo. Lies in the buttermilk, shoo, shoo, shoo. Skip to my loo, my darling. I'll be glad to go with you, so pretty do not tarry. But if I do, it's up to you to let me dance with Harry. You know who loved Skip to My Lou when they were a kid? President Abraham Lincoln! That's who! Skip to My Lou is a song and dance game? It's described as a game, not much of one, that involves the stealing of partners. Ah, I stole your partner! And though its origins are murky, musician and scholar S. Frederick Starr believed it derived from an old Creole folk song, the name of which I am about to mangle. Lolette, pauvre Lolette. Abe Lincoln would have never known about this connection, of course. He was perfectly content to shoo flies from buttermilk, shoo, 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 pull cats out of, <laughs> out of cream jars, meow, 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 and so forth. Well, with all due respect, Mr. President, Skip to My Lou is a song for babies. Babies who wear diapers and drink milk out of bottles. It barely holds my attention as a novelty, and any attempt at transforming it into a full-sized production number is a fool's errand. The Skip to My Lou track on the Broadway cast album is barely two minutes long, and it still manages to overstay its welcome. What's next, I ask you? A new arrangement for Baba Black Sheep? Choreography for Row, Row, Row Your Boat? The young people of St. Louis <laughs> would, should, take a tip from Tootie and sing, I was drunk last night, dear mother. Now that's a song with a bit of blood in its mouth. That ain't a song for no goddamn babies. Halloween is for children. With your imaginations, you can see things we grown folk cannot, cause you little ones are closer to God. Or the devil. From ghosties and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. Dear Lord, please protect them. 
from goblins and gorgons that put little girls in a fright. Please draw your sword and protect them. There's a chill in the night and a chill in our hearts when I think of what demons might lurk in these parts. So dear Lord, please protect them from terrible things that go clum, horrible things that go thump, hideous things that go boop in the night. what I enjoy about the number ghosties and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. Number one, the title is unbelievably long, hilariously so. Reading it or saying it out loud should count as a form of exercise. Ghosties and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. <laughs> sets of five. Do that, do that in sets of five. Number two, Katie the Maid is producing all of these non-committal spooky sounds throughout this track. Things that go, things that go, snip. This woman is giving us 20% and it's pretty fantastic. Come to think of it, I suppose Katie wouldn't want to scare Tootie and Agnes too much. They're little kids. You don't want to be like, best to rely on, and, but the Halloween ballet that follows this number, now that is where it's at, my friends. Between the cacophony of clattering bones and the piercing phantom-adjacent organ notes, it's clear Hugh Martin, Ralph Blaine, and orchestrator Michael Gibson are making the most of a delightfully odd opportunity. How often does one get to produce a Halloween ballet or a musical? The Halloween ballet made me want to watch the 1978 TV special It's Grinch Night, which is both a follow-up and a prequel to How the Grinch Stole Christmas. If you have never seen It's Grinch Night, pop some popcorn and have yourself a time. Like I said, this is a prequel, which means the Grinch gets to be an asshole, and he owns a wagon, a wagon filled with unspeakable Susian horrors. Joe Raposo wrote the music, which is appropriately eerie and bombastic, much like our Halloween ballet. Watch it! Oh, Anna, what fun we've had. Now we hardly have time to remember. Wasn't it fun? Wasn't it fine? Wonderful days of old Lang Syne. Wasn't it fine? Wasn't 
Charlotte Moore would make, oh, I believe they would have made a four-course meal out of a show like I Do, I Do. In hindsight, I never really bought into Mary Martin and Robert Preston's romantic connection, uh, which I would compare to a pair of party balloons rubbing up against each other to produce a, an, an unpleasant rat-like squeak. Squeak! But Hearn and Moore, now they've got the abracadabra, the magic, baby. The fact that wasn't it fun is more winning and straightforward than a number like Where Are the Snows certainly helps. Call me crazy, but sometimes it is better to skip the poeticisms and play sentiment straight. Make your character's expression of affection plain and unaffected. Take a chance. See what happens. Between Meet Me in St. Louis and I Do, I Do, it would appear we have now covered two musicals in which people invoke the hoochie-coochie or hoochie-coo. Are there more I should be aware of? I would like to have that information in advance, if possible. We will do the hoochie-coochie. The what? <laughs> Quite the handsomest man. I started to yell, so I counted to 
went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heartstrings. For the moment I saw him, I fell. Chug, chug, chug went the motor. Bump, bump, bump went the brake. Thump, thump, thump went my heartstrings. When he smiled, I could feel the car shake. He tipped his hat and took a seat. He said he hoped he hadn't stepped upon my feet. He asked my name. I held my breath. I couldn't speak because he scared me half to death. Bumps, bumps, bumps went the buzzer. have to be a monster to dismiss the appeal and sheer staying power of the trolley song. A miserable fiend. A real bastard. I am none of these things. Do you hear me? Of course, I'm an advocate for the trolley song. Clang, clang. Zing, zing. My fandom having been established, I would like to offer one, one note of criticism. The structure of the number could stand to be improved. Let's compare the structure of the trolley song to that of Put On Your Sunday Clothes from Hello, Dolly. Sunday Clothes does not begin with the entire cast singing their hearts out. We start with Cornelius and Barnaby before shifting our focus over to Dolly and Ambrose, and then we have all four of them sing together. The scope and volume of the number is steadily increasing over time, and by the time everyone in your company is on stage, the audience will recognize and marvel at what has been made for them, constructed, engineered, the big finish is what I'm talking about. The problem with the trolley song is that it always begins where it should end, with the entire cast singing their hearts out. And to no real effect, I'm sorry to say, we don't build to Esther's solo, we merely get around to it. And if it weren't for the sinus-cleansing oomph of Donna Kane's final note, I dare say the number would be a minor flop. That last note is doing a lot of work. Too much! All I'm saying is that if you start with Esther and build the company around her, the payoff will be much more satisfying. Small to big, people. Small to big. That's the trajectory we want. Small to big. Now, Anna, St. Louis has been all right, but it's an old-fashioned kind of place. Let's expand and grow. Let's up and go to a city with drive and class and style and grace. What 
is so rare as a day in New York. Who wouldn't hanker to stay in New York on the wide avenues? There's anything and everything a connoisseur might choose. People are friendly and fair in New York. Helpful and kind everywhere in New York. Scintillating and smart. Industrious, illustrious, and generous of art. Busy and dizzy, the city's pretty pattern is. Breezy and easy, the spirit of Manhattan is. People have vigor and pep in New York. And there's a spring in their step in New York. They'll welcome you to the fold with all the thrills you can hold. Nothing is nicer than old New York. We will visit the zoo. Roar! It's the best in the nation. Every kind of creation for the public to view. To the Waldorf for tea. A Delmonico dinner We won't get any thinner But contented we'll be East side, west side Me and Katie O'Rourke Katie and Anna and Agnes And Tootie and Grandpa And Esther and Rose On the sidewalks of Grandpa, wait till you see the polo grounds Makes our ballpark look like a sandlot Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the ball game. Question. Has George Hearn ever played Daddy Warbucks? I only ask because A Day in New York sounds a heck of a lot like NYC from Annie. Maybe not literally, melodically, melodically, but hello, my name is Melodically. But spiritually, they sound the same, certainly. They are particularly, they're practically the same sales pitch. You can't blame me for wanting to bust out the red yarn and make a connection. I have a big map and a whole lot of pins and a whole lot of red yarn. One of these days, I'll rip the map down in a frenzy. But to answer my own question, yes, George Hearn has played Daddy Warbucks in the direct-to-video non-musical sequel to Annie from 1995. That would be Annie, a royal adventure for those keeping track. Why was that not a musical? I mean, yeah, the movie ends with a performance of Tomorrow randomly, but there ain't no singing and dancing beyond that. And if you've never really sung or danced... Can you truly say you played Daddy Warbucks? I say no. You deserved better, George. So much better. They should have taken advantage of your talents. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year all our troubles will be miles away. Yeah. 
and I are homosexuals. Homosexuals! Have yourself a merry little Christmas has been a part of our official Holly Jolly Christmas playlist for nearly 6,000 years. The song is a perennial favorite, but Donna Kane's performance sounds, I dare say, more like a lesson in elocution than a fully realized character piece. Judy Garland accessed a reservoir of melancholy like she was flipping a light switch. That woman knew what the act of yearning sounded like. She knew how to produce that sound, and she applied that knowledge to everything she sang. Somewhere Over the Rainbow is a song about desperation. A trolley song is about desperation, as is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Tootie? I need you to try and have a merry little Christmas. The days are long and dark, and they could become a whole lot darker, I admit it. But a brighter day may be in store for us. So please, Tootie, be brave. Allow yourself to feel sad, but be brave as well. This ain't some simple lullaby is what I mean to imply. <laughs> Not imply. Declare. There is a world of feeling within this number that deserves to be explored. But I hear no curiosity in Kane's consciously crisp recitation. You could offer a slice of ennui, maybe. Hello, Miss Kane. I love you, but come on. That's all I have to say regarding the score of Meet Me in St. Louis. It is now time to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Excuse me, could I get another vodka tonic? Another vodka tonic over here. Hello? Am I invisible? Am I a ghost? Am I dead? What the fuck is going on here? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. This glass has been empty for 15 minutes. I'd like another one. Thank you very much. Uh, so what was I saying to you? Oh, right. So, uh, you know, the other day, I was talking to this buddy of mine, and he said he was going to... I said, what are you doing after? What are you, what are you doing after this? And he says, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get into my home clothes. He said, I'm going to go home and get into my home clothes. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? Home clothes? You mean pajamas? He said, no, I mean my, my, my home clothes. This guy's over here calling pajamas home clothes. That pisses me off. That pisses me off. And, and, and admittedly, I, I know, I, I know, I know. A lot of stuff pisses me off. And when I get pissed off... Uh, at this point in my life, I reach for five, six, seven, eight coffee. I love a gin and tonic, but I, oh, I adore five, six, seven, eight coffee. I don't reach for no knives. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. Come on now. You, you laugh, but that's, I don't do that no more. Come on now. You're pissing me off. You're pissing me off. I don't do that no more. I used to. I, I admit it. Oh, I, how I loved, oh, them knives. Oh, it's making me shiver. Holding the knives, throwing the knives, sharpening the knives. Oh, I love doing that. Yeah, but you know Gladys. You've met Gladys. You've met Gladys. Gladys Hotchkiss, my girlfriend. Don't fuck with me. Don't piss me off now. Yeah, you, yeah, okay. So you do know. You admit it. He admit it. Uh, she says to me one time, she says, look, Heinzy, 
Heinz, you gotta let off steam in some other way. Enough with the knives. She says, here, try this coffee. I was like, coffee? What the hell are you talking about? I'm a gin and tonic man. That's the only thing I drink. But she says, just try it. And by, and by golly, oh, I worked wonders. You know, my nerves are settled. My skin's clearing up. You see, no pimples. I got no pimples. And I don't even, I don't even grind my teeth at night no more. Now, whenever some, now, whenever someone refers to a water fountain, let's say, as a bubbler, I brew up a pot of five, six, seven, eight coffee. I get real pissed off. And then I reach for the coffee. A fucking bubbler. That pisses me off. I reach for the coffee. You sure can count on it. I, I'm telling you right now, I know it sounds like I'm doing a commercial, my friend, but you should try it. Me, I, see, you can count on it. I let me, I like to count my knives. Yeah, five knives, six knives, seven. I ain't gonna throw them, Gladys. She just walked in. She hears me talking about the knives. I'm not gonna pick them up or throw them. I just like counting them, Gladys. Come on. I love you, baby. I love you. Final thoughts regarding Meet Me in St. Louis. I think I like the movie a lot because it reminds me of Little Women, a story that I love. It's basically Little Women minus death. No one has to really deal with any sort of mortal loss or any sort of true big time trauma drama. We take out the death and we add the happiness of staying put. And this idea of like, don't go anywhere, just stay. Stay in this nice city. That's fun. The movie and its stage adaptation bear the same message as another Judy Garland vehicle, The Wizard of Oz. That message being, you know, there's a lot to love about a place you and the ones you love call home. Hold on to each other for as long as you can. I think that's a, a very nice message. But I didn't really unpack the Little Women comparison. Uh, just that idea of a big family under one roof, and they're slowly but surely moving in different directions and they have to deal with the sadness of that of that stretching out you know we're not going to be kids anymore we're never going to be under this under this collective roof with time and so we should appreciate what we have here and now i like that a lot now in 1990 the winner of the tony award for best musical was former subject city of angels and the additional nominees that season were aspects of love grand hotel and that's it aspects of love and grand hotel so grand Hotel, I still say, should have won Best Musical. There is no doubt in my mind about that. We only have one show remaining in this set of nominees. Quite exciting. I keep saying that. It's so fun to realize that we're going to be closing out a lot of these nominee sets. It is now time for me to rank Meet Me in St. Louis against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. If you want to check out this ranking of ours, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You'll find our link tree there. Access our spreadsheet via the link tree. The second tab of that spreadsheet provides the ranking info. Meet me in St. Louis. You shall go into the number 93 slot between SpongeBob SquarePants at number 92 and Xanadu at number 94. I am going to commit to this. For our 150th episode on the main feed, I am going to re-examine this ranking and see how we can shake things up. I want to re-examine my feelings regarding the ranking. Is that fine with you? Sounds good to me. Show-related ephemera. I have a lot of ephemera for you this time around. First up, the trolley song from Carol Burnett remembers how they stopped the show. Carol Burnett's first album. This is her first album from 1961. Let's hear Carol Burnett sing the trolley song.
Carol. How about another rendition of the trolley song? This one is sung by Renee Zellweger for the 2019 film Judy. She kind of sounds like her, sort of. What, what am I supposed to do? What can I say? It's not like I can do a better impression. Now, I did watch Meet Me in St. Louis, the non-musical adaptation of the Sally Benson stories that first aired on CBS on September 2nd, 1966. Though originally intended as a pilot for an eventual series, it was reduced to TV movie status when one executive declared, I don't want anything on my network with an ice wagon rattling down the street. Fair. Fair. I think that they were trying to maybe capitalize on shows like The Waltons or maybe even The Partridge Family. Rita Shaw from Mary Poppins and The Pajama Game and the black and white TV version of Meet Me in St. Louis from 1959. She is also in this pilot. She plays Katie the Maid again. How many maids has this woman played? I cannot believe how bad this is. It has a laugh track. The laugh track kicks in when nothing remotely comedic is even happening on screen. It's madness. Lon's name has been changed to Glenn for some reason. Uh, I checked out after about four minutes. So I, I just wanted to tell you about that. We're not going to hear any audio from it. I, I just wanted to tell you fun facts regarding the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, otherwise known as the St. Louis World's Fair. 
The fair served as the official venue for the Summer Olympics, which had never before been held in the United States. The cost of travel prevented Baron Pierre de Coubertin, the founder of the modern Olympics, from making an appearance. Most of the European athletes stayed home as well, so the whole thing sounds like a bust. Missouri's governor, Alexander Dockery, canceled a high-profile bullfight that had been arranged in conjunction with the fair. Because Missouri had a law against bullfighting, you see. Why was the fight organized in the first place? If there was a law against bullfighting, search me, I don't know. Refunds were summarily denied to the spectators, and they decided to set fire to the arena. Methinks you should have given them refunds, dummies. Fair attendees included the newly re-elected U.S. President Theodore Teddy Roosevelt, former U.S. President Grover Cleveland, who reportedly received more applause than Teddy Roosevelt, inventor Thomas Edison, a 24-year-old graduate of Radcliffe College by the name of Helen Keller, fruit specialist J.T. Stinson, who coined the phrase, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, at his exhibition. Apache War Chief Geronimo, poet T.S. Eliot, Jack Daniel, whose Tennessee whiskey earned him a gold medal, and Harry Alonzo Longabaugh, a.k.a. the Sundance Kid. Jelly Roll Morton did not attend because he thought another pianist by the name of Tony Jackson was going and would compete in the fair's jazz piano competition. Tony did not attend, and Jelly was perturbed. Surprisingly, that story was not incorporated into the musical Jelly's Last Jam. Weird. Why? <laughs> if you're thinking the St. Louis World's Fair sounds like fun, keep in mind that over 1,000 primitive quote-unquote people, primitive people, were kidnapped and trafficked into the U.S. for the purpose of putting them on display. Many of them died on their way to America and were refused traditional burial rites. Geronimo was technically an exhibit. So... Yeah, digest that. I have one piece of ephemera, one final piece of ephemera for you. This is Judy's Cream of Wheat as created by, as presented by, Punchy Players on YouTube. I have long been a fan of this video, and I think you will enjoy it as well if you're not already familiar with it. <laughs> it's very fun. Let's hear that. Good morning, Mama. It's me, Liza. Liza, my God, it's early. It's only noon. I, I know, Mama, but all us kids were hungry for breakfast, you know. We thought maybe you could get up and fix us something. So we... My God, what am I going to feed all these kids here? Well, let's see. I, I think I see something here on this bottom shelf. I hope it's Captain Crunchies. They're my favorite. No, no, no. They're, they're not Captain Crunchies. They, it looks like it. Oh, it is. I don't think it's too old. I, I don't see any bugs in it. What is it, Mama? It's cream of wheat. Okay, and this time let's read the directions. <laughs> I'll I'll cook it all and we'll we'll all eat it. All right, Mama, maybe if you sing the jingle for me. Oh no, no, I couldn't possibly. It'd be disastrous. I, I couldn't sing a note. I really couldn't. Oh come on, Mama. 
<laughs> Being kind of a present to me, you know. Would you like that? Well, I'll do it then. Cream of wheat is so good to eat. Yes, we have it every day. It makes us strong. So we sing the song and it makes us shout hooray. It's good for growing babies and grown-ups too to eat. For all the family's breakfast, you can be cream. Thank you. Thank you, Liza. Liza, where, where'd everybody go? And cream of wheat's ready. It makes us strong, so we sing the song, and it makes us shout rain. <laughs> it's good for growing babies and grown-ups too to eat. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named, after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Just Deserts. Not just desserts, just deserts. I wonder what that one is about. Everyone ready? Then away we go! subject of the main feed is a 2019 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it ran on Broadway for 488 performances. The title of that show is Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. That episode will drop July 12th. Mark your calendars. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. One dollar a month will get you Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You'll get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least one dollar a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan. Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get 19 bonus episodes, which cover the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a review of the trailer for Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th Birthday Celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, a review of the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. You also get all 16 episodes in M3, the movie musical. Man, a series dedicated to movie music.
musicals. We watch a trilogy of movie musicals in each episode, and they are tied by common themes. It's fun! It's fun! $30 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get all 10 episodes in our Wildcats Everywhere series, which is dedicated to the high school musical franchise, and a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. We have a wonderful series in this tier that is ongoing right here and now. It's called TV VIP. Dedicated, it is dedicated, to TV shows that are also musicals. We've talked about Schmigadoon, Central Park, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Up Here, Cop Rock, and coming Wednesday, July 5th, an episode dedicated to the Apple TV Plus show, Little Voice, which features original music from Sarah Bareilles. Ah, I'm excited. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you'll get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by The Phantom of the Opera. You get all 14 episodes in our Broadway and Chicago review series and volumes one through five of Shout About It. Now, what is that? That is a collection, a compendium, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shout-outs from the first 120. 25 episodes of the show. Finally, in our $10 a month tier, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season 1, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for Best Musical, and all 12 episodes in our Turn It Off series, which is dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Pod. Podbean, that's musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. As I said with Sydney, I loved that Sydney email. Love emails. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny back in Chicago in the stage left studio. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo. Zach Little, thank you for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh! Well, you know what that sound means, yes? Just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Vigashen, and good night. <laughs>